Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradfoe Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify wh- your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. He's back, and he's not talking about Fidel Castro, which was the last time Mike Lowell appeared on the Bradford Show. Which, by the way, Mike, I, I should say this, is that Tim Wakefield came up to me in, in the winter after that podcast when you were when after Castro died. And he said, I told my kids to listen to this. I told this was a very, very important podcast, not only for me, not only for you, but for evidently all of humankind. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to take two, uh, two things from that comment. One, <laughs> um, I, I thank Wake because I love him. And two, he's wasting the time of his life listening to the Brad Post show. Sorry, sorry. I think it was pertinent. It was cool with someone who was not of Cuban descent to find value in that. No, it's... it's, yeah, it's we're, we're here to educate, and that's exactly what I feel that's like. That's what we do. We're that's, here to educate. That's right. Through America. That's and today, the education, the lesson that we're learning is Alex Cora 101, uh, the newly named manager for the Boston Red Sox. How much does life not suck for Alex Cora right now? I was just thinking about this, Mike. Holy mackerel. I mean, you, you talk about the sweet spot of life. You're going to the World Series, and also <laughs> why you're going through the World Series, you also know that you've, you've gotten a ma- managing job? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I think it's pretty good to be Alex Corley, <laughs> you know. And, you know, um, taking it a little further, um, I know his name was thrown around with a lot of teams. Inheriting a team that won 90-plus. Oh. I think that's a great feeling, you know, because it's not nothing against Detroit or the Phillies. But you know you're in for a major redevelopment process, you know. And I think for a first-time manager, it's much easier to handle a winning team because when you're winning, everyone's happier and life's a little easier. And the Red Sox, you know what? They're going to win next year. Oh, good for everyone. Well, I was, I was, I was trying to give him some leverage on Saturday by saying, could the Nationals derail the Red Sox pursuit of Alex Cora? Because Alex Cora once played for the Nationals, and Mike Rizzo actually thinks highly of him. 
Um, but that wasn't. I mean, that's that's like you said. The, the, the Nationals actually have a good team, ninety-seven wins. But everything else that goes with it, I, I think that the Red Sox fill probably is the the best landing spot that you could find. Oh, I agree. I mean, I I think for a guy who um, not only did he play here, which I know did not necessarily have to play in the place that you managed, but the Boston's, the New Yorks, the Chicago's, the LA's, but especially this East Coast side where the fan base and the media scrutiny, it is a little different. Even whether you want to accept it as good or bad or indifferent, it is different. And I think as a player who has gone through it, um, it's a much easier approach, not only in what he's going to have to handle, because I'm sure he's going to be second-guessed and asked why he did something right every time they win and why whatever went wrong every time they lose, but what he's, he's going to understand what the players go through every day. And I think that's a big bridge to be able to gap um, when you're kind of coming in in a new situation. And he's, you know, besides, what, maybe Dustin? I don't hmm. know if there's anyone. No, no I mean, Dana Lavangi, I mean, but other than that, it's, you know, there's not, not really really holdovers, but, you know, there's a lot of good points to be made with, with Alex and, and, and how he's going to be able to use his time in Boston, how he's going to be able to use his time after Boston and so forth and so on. The first thing I want to ask you, Mike, is when's the, how do you meet Alex? Uh, obviously, he went to University of Miami, um, and you ended up playing with each other, but when's the first time you met him? Uh, it was Yeah, it was in college. He was at Miami, and, you know, I was very curious because um, when you first see him play, he's not Alex Cora. He's Joey Cora's brother. You know? <laughs> so we were like, is this guy as good as Joey Cora? And um, what impressed me immediately was defensively, you know, arm strength, the way he handled um, the shortstop position at basically 18 years old. And then the other thing that impressed me is that I'm actually not sure he hit a home run in college and still went in the third round. And I was like, wow, he, they must really know something about his defense if he didn't hit a home run with an aluminum bat. What is he going to do with a wood bat? So I, you know, but we were rivals, I guess you could say, in, in college. And then, you know, I, I respected him tremendously as a player because I think wherever he played, he was prepared and he gave 100%. And I know it's easy to say that, but not everyone does that. You know, honestly, when you when you play the game for a number of years and you've gone through or played with a lot of different guys, different personalities, not everyone does that. And when you are the starting shortstop for the Dodgers and then you go to another team and now you're the backup and you got a pinch run and you got to play the last three innings of a blowout, you know, your ego takes a shot and not everyone can accept that. So I think the fact that he has been in a lot of different roles as a player, and then ultimately for me, you know, you know my relationship with Mike Redman, you know, when we started off together and we're as close as friends can be. I mean, Alex Cora is 1A and 1B with me. So um, I was just, you know, I, I say he's a much better person and a friend than he's a baseball guy, and I think that's the best compliment you can give because I think he's a tremendous baseball guy. So I'm, I think it's uh, something very positive, obviously, for him, but I think the Red Sox are making a really good move. Hmm. Well, you go back to when he when you guys came together with the Red Sox. I think you were already there, uh, two thousand six, um, and he and so he came over in a trade, and so I think he was there before me. Though. Oh, he was he two thousand five. I think at the end of 05? Oh, 05. Okay, I'm, that's I'm terrible. That's 
five Demaris for me. But 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 I will. But so when you start when you start playing with him, um, like you said, you knew him. You played against him, and and you knew what type of player he was. But the biggest thing with Alex, not all the years he was with Boston, was to me was almost the clubhouse stuff. And and that's why one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. I saw it from a media perspective. I saw it from talking to him like I did, but you saw it from a teammate. And I've said this numerous times when you get to that 2017, that 2008 team, that clubhouse was run by corners of that clubhouse, and you were a corner, and Alex was a corner, and those were very, very important parts of that whole equation. So what was his dynamic like in that clubhouse? Well, I I think his biggest attribute was at not being an everyday player, but commanding the respect of almost an elite-type player. Because, you know, even on the road, it would be, you know, I lifted weights in the mornings with him and with Manny Ramirez. And the one guy that got on Manny's case for showing up 10 minutes late at the lobby or not showing up to work out was Alex. And Manny took to it, you know. And I think he kind of liked the fact that um, – a guy could relate to his situation and get on him, you know, in the sense of, hey, we're going to win. We don't win without you, Manny. You know, we need you. So I think he understood that Manny's personality was the more type where you got to put your arm around him, and maybe someone else is more the type where you got to kick him in the in the butt a little bit. You know, so, some guys react differently, and that's where, where managing personalities, I think, is, is just as important sometimes as managing, you know, the X's and O's and what you do during a game. So the fact that guys like David Ortiz and Kurt Schilling and Josh and and Manny uh, were respectful, felt like they had to respect Alex because of, I don't know, the way he went about his business, I think speaks volumes of what he can do now as a manager. Because you can be the best X's and O's guy, and if your players don't feel like they have, the manager has their back, that clubhouse can deteriorate quickly, hmm. you know, and then and then that's where things start festering. And a loss is just a loss. A loss is, uh, hey, it's finger pointing, and you know things could get ugly. So, um, in that sense, I think Alex is prepared for it. Sure, he's going to learn things. And I, and you were speaking of his experiences, you know, uh, outside. I wouldn't call it outside baseball, but outside being a player. I think his experiences with dealing with winter ball in Puerto Rico has helped. Mm-hmm. I know he is. He was very impressed with the way the Astros go about their business, you know, they're more, I think they have the stereotype of being a much more of the analytics type team. And I think there are things that the analytics are actually very beneficial and great at. And some things, uh, you know, through the years we've seen like maybe aren't as important. And mm-hmm. I think he'll be a nice blend because I'm not a big fan of going, you know, 100% either way. I don't think you can form a team based on analytics because we're human beings and we're not robots. But I don't think you can only go by a hunch, you know, and say, man, the eye test is good. Well, the eye test might be good, but I got a C-spin rate. I got a C, you know, when the guy's one for 12, and his exit velocity is the same as when he went on a seven for 12. You know, we got to talk to him and be able to say, hey, you know, you're swinging the bat good. You know, this is, you know, we got we to gotta be good psychologists sometimes, you know. And, uh, and I think he's good at that. I think, I think he's very well-equipped to handle those situations. Well, you talk about instances in that clubhouse. I, I, I remember a couple. One, with when Gagne came over, right? Gagne was, had a tough time. He knew Gagne from the Dodgers. Gagne, I believe, blew a slave one time and didn't talk to the media. 
And I remember Alex said, we, I talked to him. I told him, this is important. You have to stand in front of your locker. I remember Alex missed a bunt. It might have been during the playoffs, but he, when we got in there, he was in uniform facing out much like you did and say, okay, you know, this is part of my responsibility. But he was telling Gagne, Gagne was a star, you know, the Gagne, and, and he said, you know, this is how you have to do this. And the other one was Pedroia. I mean, remember the whole that April, at which I know that Alex has put on his resume, hit 400 in April while Pedroia was hitting under 200 in 2007. But he helped him get to that point. So I, I think there's, there's, there's probably a lot more examples than that. For, for me, there's a couple that jump out. Well, I think with Gagne, um, the relationship that they had prior when basically Alex saw Gagne when he went three years without blowing a save. Yeah. You know, so he saw him at his best. And it's only human nature. It's easy to stand in front of your locker when you do good. But the recognition of, like you said, there is a responsibility. And one, one thing I realized, Rob, when I was playing in Boston, is if you mess up, say you messed up. Hmm. You know, that, that goes a long way because I think people are much more forgiving if they feel like you're giving 100% and you make a mistake because guess what? We all make mistakes. But if when you make the mistake, you don't own up to it or you drop an excuse, then people are saying, oh, man, this guy, there's always a reason of why. You know, if you, if you own up to him, I think, you know, when you say a guy like Gagne, I think he earns the respect not only of his, of his teammates, but I think he earns the respect of the media. Mm-hmm. Because the media can, can paint things in a certain way that are very unfavorable. And, you know, media guys, not including you, but their personalities as well. And if a guy says, hey, can I have two questions? You'd be like, yeah, absolutely, right after batting practice. And after batting practice, you didn't have a good batting practice. You blow that guy off. Well, it's really hard for that guy to speak so highly of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there is, there is. That's a relationship in itself. Oh well. Don't realize, you know. Oh well. And, well, how about how about you know? And you talk about this clubhouse. Oh, you're gonna tell me a time I blew you off. Well, hold on, I'm thinking back. What did I do? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, I, I, listen, you 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 always were you always understood the dynamic better than most. Let's just say that, Mike. Right? Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, but I, but go to this clubhouse, and I don't know how, what effect he'll have on this clubhouse and these players. I do know that one of the things the Red Sox look at it and say, "Hey, he's a little bit younger. Maybe he can relate to these guys. Get out in the clubhouse a little bit more, and, and talk, to, and maybe have more of the conversations." But it. I think that going back to some of these examples that we're talking about, I would hope that he would be able to get to a guy like David Price and say, listen, dude, you're making yourself so life so much more difficult than it needs to be. This is how it works here. I know because I played here just a few years ago. So I don't know if that – do you think that would have any impact on, on some of these guys? Um, I think it can. You know, the, it's hard for me to weigh in on clubhouse dynamic because – you know, I know with the whole David Price X thing, I wasn't there, you know, and I, and I don't really want to take sides because I, I think you need to hear all the details on both ends. But the fact that Alex played and was probably put in some of those situations, sure, he can relate. Now, it's ultimately up to the players to, you know, they're, they're adults, to act in a certain manner where I think in a, I think in a baseball really, you know, hungry town like Boston, my goal or my message would be let's eliminate all the distractions because there's enough scrutiny on just the way we play baseball. Why are we going to bring in anything else? Because that, that doesn't help. It doesn't help anyone. You know, and, 
and I and I love Mandy to death, but I remember Mandy when he was talking about picking up the options on his contract. Oh. You know, he said it, but then he didn't want to talk about it. So then what does everyone do? They go to everyone else's locker. Yeah. Well, I got enough problems, man. I don't hit home runs like Manny. I'm trying to get ready, so I don't want to answer questions about Manny. He made more money than I ever dreamed that a human being could make. You know, so I really didn't care about his options in, in, in a weird, selfish way, but that's in, in a subtle way, that's a distraction. So, yeah, can Alex help in that? I'm sure he can help. You know, I, 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 I don't see what he brings to the table as being a negative in any way. You know, uh, the fact that he can relate to a lot of players, the fact that he can relate to starters, to bench guys, to infielders, you know, I, I think he brings a lot to the table. And, um, you know, I'm really curious to see the staff that's, you know, going to be put around him because I think it's going to be guys that are, you know, like-minded like him who take the game very seriously and are looking for the edge. So uh, hopefully that, you know, puts the Red Sox a little deeper into the postseason than they were this year. You know, Mike, I was talking, as you did, you know, I've talked to him throughout the years. And and when he when he left playing baseball in 2011, everyone's, oh, he has the, the, the managerial timber. He'll be good. But usually you have to work your way up. I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that Alex saw these guys like Weiss and Ventura and, and Osmus and these other guys get these jobs and say, I can do that. I, why should I have to ride the buses? And for a while it looked like, oh, is this going to actually work out because you're doing the ESPN thing? Yeah, you're, you're managing and GMing in Puerto Rico, but is that going to be enough? But it, it, at, did you feel like he was going down the path that would lead him to this opportunity? Uh, a little bit, you know, and I think I was like everyone else, a little bit uh, taken aback by how quickly – you know, the Mike Matheny's, the Venturas, you know, got jobs. But I think they showed that they were capable. And, and just because, you know, over the last however many years, it took a guy to start an A-ball and work his way up, I don't know if that's always the answer. You know, having, having played an A-ball, double-A training, I mean, I went through every single stop. Um, sometimes you're babysitting a lot more in teaching baseball, hmm. you know, especially at the lower levels. You know, you got guys that the adjustments are so much different than, hey, we got to put ourselves in a position to be able to hit an off-speed pitch. It's hey, you know, we got to make sure you're on time and pay your electric bill. <laughs> you know, stuff like it, it's a bigger dynamic than anyone can imagine, especially you know for some of the foreign players that that really it's a major culture shock. So I mean, it's I think when you label those guys um, as quote unquote future coach, future manager, I think it's more that they were smart players, mm. and I think they understood. Um, mentally a way to have an advantage and, and, and execute, you know? So, you know, when you look at a guy like Alex, when he's not a big, he was never a big offensive producer. And then you almost have to accept and, and kind of mold yourself into the role of being a great backup and a valuable backup, Mm -hmm. you know? So the fact that you can kind of transform, you know, I I look at it like a pitcher who used to throw 95, but he's in his eighth year now, and now he tops out at 89, 94. Well, he's got to kind of change the way he pitches. A lot of guys can't do that. And the ones that can, you know, have longevity. So I think, you know, for a guy like Alex, yeah, he, he's, his, his playing career took over a lot of different roles and a lot of different ways to prepare and uh, to help a team out that I think, you know, this is a smart cat we're talking about. Yeah. Ever since he was, you know, ever since I first met him in college. So, yeah, I think, you know, he, he's a guy who – Bright loves the game, and I think he's really ready for the task. Is he the best at uh, at finding pitch tipping that you've ever seen? I know Eduardo Perez is considered one of the guys, but Alex you know, is right I, there. I, oh, I I think 
there's some secret coach in the Puerto Rican Little League. <laughs> because uh, almost all my Puerto Rican teammates that I've had have been really good uh, pitch-tipping uh, guys. You know, and, and uh, I don't know if it's the belief that you're seeing something or you're actually seeing something, but, hey, man, there's a lot of guys that pick it up and little things, you know. He's good at it, though, right? I mean, he's great. He's great. He was great, you know, and uh, he saw things that, you know, when I go up there, I said, man, I think I see it, but if I'm not 100%, I don't want it, you know. So, But the fact that he's looking, he's looking, this is for an edge. And you know what? More often than not, it wasn't to help him because he wasn't playing. (laughs) You know, this is, this is, you know, this is, hey, we're here as you know a lot of a lot of separate pieces to come together as a collective unit and and really do something good. I got uh two two last questions. The last question is going to be the, the your best Alex Cora story, so I'll let you ruminate on that a little bit. But the <laughs> the uh but the the Astros thing, you talked about we talked about the path that he took that he was a smart player that we saw these other guys get managing shots even though they hadn't any experience before. I do think, though, this Astros job, and I actually talked to him before this, and, and I'm sure that he, he, that he based his entire decision on our conversation, but when you get a bench coaching job for a good team, that can mean a lot because everyone then says, like they're doing with Houston right now, that's how it's supposed to be done, and you were part of it. Even, so even though he had all these other interviews, I, I got to imagine this was the maybe it's like two percent, but it was the two percent that punctuated getting the job here. I agree. I agree. I think um, you know even when I talk to my friends and you know I told them, hey Alex is a bench coach of the Astros or Mike Greb is a bench coach of the Rockies, they're like, what's a bench coach? <laughs> so most people actually don't know what the bench coach does, and I said, well, basically he's the he's the right hand of the manager. You know, and in spring training, the bench coach's mind basically explodes because you got to know where everyone is at every time. So he's he's kind of like, I don't know what the best way to put it. He's a vice president, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But a very, very involved vice president. And I have to believe that that daily interaction with the manager is very different than the interaction with a hitting coach or the interaction with a pitching coach because those are well-defined. You know, I, when John Farrell was our pitching coach, he really didn't sit in on the hitters' meetings because he's not involved with the hitters. He's got enough on his plate to deal with pitches, you know. So the bench coach is involved in every facet of the game, and I think the part that maybe you weren't as exposed to as a player, which probably for a guy like Alex was bullpen, you saw the manager, and then you bounce ideas off. And guess what, man? There's there's six weeks of spring training where you're using more pitches than than known to man to get guys ready, not only at the big league level, but you know AAA and your prospects and all that. And then you've got 162 games where you're you're learning a lot, you know, and, and I think people think that it's easy. Hey, bring in this guy, you know, oh, it's, it's easy. Let's bring in Kimbrell. You know, you know that that's, sounds like a piece of cake, but how many times does a certain guy get up? Does he get hot and he doesn't come in and he gets down? And, you know, th- those, there's there's a certain way there. You've got to work a bullpen in order to be able to have them last for six months and then the postseason because if, if you think you can just – if you think you can use a bullpen like they do in the postseason, since there's so many off days during the regular season, you'll have you'll have 12 Tommy Johns by August. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I do think he learned. I think being a bench coach is is a uh, is a big step towards understanding the dynamic of running a team. And I, I would agree. I think that's kind of what maybe put them over the top, maybe in the eyes of you know the upper management of the teams that were interviewing them. Yeah, I think so. All right, so you're you. 
I've always said this, Mike. You go to your locker, you're going to give you the quote that you can drop right in that story. You say, this is exactly what I need. So what I need from you to finish this oh, baby man. off is your best Alex Cora story. And and maybe it could be a good uh, a good hit, uh, Hanley Ramirez, Mandy Ramirez anecdote. Maybe it can be something from uh, your college days. Maybe it can be something from yesterday. I don't know. What do you got? Uh, um, I um, no, I can't do it. You know why I can't do it? Because I was asked that's Mike Redman's story when he gets hired, and I mentioned how he to break a losing streak. He took his whole tee and flipped Christine in the cage naked and with spikes. On oh, that was old. That's a, then, that's in the book. That's in the book. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I know it's great. But the problem is, I felt terrible because at his press conference, as he named the manager of the Miami Marlins, the first question they asked him was, "Was gonna be, was he ever going to take off his clothes to break a losing streak?" And I was like, "Oh man, you know." So let's defer that one for later. And after he's got some dirt on his spikes as a manager, all right, we can, you know, we can make fun of him. Uh, that's that. that's fair. I'm, I'm going with a clean slate. A nice, clean slate to open up the Alex Cora era here in, uh, well, over there. I'm a little south of you right now. That, that, over in New England. That's fair. That tells, me, that tells me two things. That it, it confirms that uh, Deep Drive, the, the excellent autobiography of yourself, is uh, was read <laughs> voracious. An autobiography is written by me. So it, it's a biography, right? Yeah, whatever. It could have, okay. who knows? Maybe I just collected a paycheck. Maybe all you right. did all the work. Uh, but but it was voraciously consumed by the media in Miami because they were asking those questions in the in the uh, press conference. But also, you're very very smart for doing that. There's there's going to be plenty. Of, there's going to be plenty of time. Uh, he's got a three year deal with an option for a fourth. So plenty plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, you got it. All right, man. I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. I still don't have a shirt, but thanks. <laughs> XL dry fit. You got it. <laughs> Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. How did one man go from the scion of a Bay Area sausage company 
to triple murderer. Bud Stewart was always just a little off the rails. I'm Natalia Gravich, and I explored this question and many others on The Sausage King, a new podcast from KCBS Radio and Odyssey. He would park the truck with the pig and the straw in front of my campaign headquarters. Didn't like to follow any rules. Subscribe and listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.